He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Welcome to the Gospel According to with Ryan and Mike, a conversation designed to explore what makes the gospel good news in various books and topics in the Bible. On today's episode, Ryan and Mike will continue to explore Revelation. Should we read Revelation like a farmer's almanac or like Avengers Endgame? Ryan and Mike investigate this relationship between Revelation and biblical parables, with one or two Marvel references thrown in. All right, Ryan, so we have got to explore a lot so far in Revelation. Um, we've, we've really focused in on the message of Revelation is the same as the gospel itself. Your God reigns. Revelation um, sings that loud and clear. And Revelation uh, tells the the divine drama of, of God's unfolding purpose and does so in four movements. We see the prologue with the ascension of Christ. He's, he's won a great victory on the cross. He's been raised from the dead and he is seated at the right hand of God to reign in the midst of his enemies. And then we see uh, movement one from there, this war that's waged against the saints. The dragon wages war against the saints. Uh, and we see all the, the forces that, that work against them. We see God pronouncing favor and uh, and judgment in favor of the saints. So judgment. And then the the fullness of the kingdom, the saints receiving the the kingdom. So war, judgment, kingdom after the prologue of ascension. And then in in terms of the structure of the book of Revelation itself, it tells that drama, that unfolding drama in a a sequence of sevens or uh, a series of of sevens. Um, It's not a linear, linear chronological story but it's thematically retelling that same story over and over from different with different lenses from different angles. All right, so we've seen all those things just to help us get our bearings with the book as a whole. As we think a little bit more carefully about interpretation so that we can not just read the book of Revelation, but so that we can as Revelation 1:3 tells us to hear the book of Revelation. We're going to interpret this well. Um, one of the most important parts of interpretation uh, of any book is responding to its literary style, its writing style. What genre is it in? So um, help us begin to see the, the the genre of Revelation. What type of literature is the book of Revelation? Yeah, I mean, it's so important to see. You know, in our last conversation, I talked about how I used to read Revelation linearly. And because of that, I made a great many mistakes in understanding the book, and I never understood the book for that matter. And likewise, if you don't get the right literary context, you're not going to get Revelation. The question I'd like to ask people to consider is, do you read Revelation more like the Farmer's Almanac or more like Avengers Endgame? You know, I think Mm. many instinctively and intuitively approach Revelation like the Farmer's Almanac, expecting it just to tell us, clear times and dispensations and prophecies of what's going to happen, etc., rather than seeing it like Endgame, which is this epic war drama narrative that unfolds and the unraveling of a uh, people because of that, etc. I-, I think you have to read Revelation more like Endgame than the Farmer- Farmer's Almanac. A sentence that I heard a few years ago that has been so helpful to me is read Revelation as parable. Read Mm. Revelation as parable. If I really wanted to channel my inner John here, I could say that seven times for emphasis. But 
Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. read Revelation <laughs> as parable. I did three. That'll be good enough for now. Mm-hmm. I, I want to show okay. you yeah. two different reasons that I think this is a very helpful statement and why it's fitting to the book. The first comes in Revelation 1, verse 1. Read that for me, Mike, when you get there. Revelation mm-hmm. chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his bondservants the things which must soon take place, and he sent and communicated it, or signified it, by his angel to his bondservant, John. So that word there, communicated it, you're reading from NASB, I'm reading from Mm -hmm. ESV, ESV is he made it known. You gave us your commentary there, a better way to translate that. That word is better translated as... To signify. Yeah. Look at John 18, verse 32, Mike. John 18, verse 32. This word, if you understand what its original meaning is, is actually very helpful to understanding what Revelation is about in the literary design of the book. John 18, verse 32. Yeah. Um, The Jews said to him, we're not permitted to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word of Jesus, which he spoke signifying by what kind of death he was about to die. Yeah, that word there in John 18, 32 for signify is the exact same word in the original language for communicated or made it known in Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. In John 18, you have the event signifying what is going to happen in the crucifixion of Jesus. What you have likewise in Revelation is symbols that are signifying the greater reality of what's being communicated here. So even from the beginning, if you understand how Revelation is written, Revelation is shouting to us, read me as a sign, read me as a symbol, Mm -hmm. read this as signs that are pointing toward something greater. Now, as you go through scripture, which other type of literature uses symbols and signs to communicate its meaning? Yeah, parables. Parables, Yeah, parables. Let me demonstrate this case a bit more strongly. Not only can you look at that Greek word and see that it's telling us to read this symbolically, but I think there's also a hint in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. Look at Revelation chapter 2, and if you look over to verse 7, there's this phrase that is repeated every time. Revelation 2 verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And who overcomes, I'll grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So, oh, I'd love to talk about that last part of that last verse, but we're not going to do that now. Yeah. Um, one of three times the word yeah. paradise is used in the New Testament. Um, but notice that phrase. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is repeated at the end of every yeah. single one of the seven letters. Look down to verse 11, same thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He who has an ear, let him hear. Yes, verse 17. Same thing. He who has an ear, yeah. let him hear what the Spirit says to the Now, when, rule one with Revelation, anytime you're reading a text, assume that it's drawing from some Old Testament imagery. This is drawing from a Absolutely. very powerful Old Testament narrative. Whenever the text is saying, mm-hmm. he who has an ear, let him hear, where does that come from in the Old Testament? It's Isaiah 6. Isaiah chapter 6. So let's actually go back there. Let's actually go back to Isaiah chapter 6. So, Mike, as you're turning there, let me just kind of recap all this real quick. Not only last conversation did we talk about the structure of the book as important for properly understanding it, for getting the kale down right, for getting the steak down right, but also 
What we're trying to do now is understand that you have to read Revelation as the right type of literature, not as Farmer's Almanac, but more like Endgame. It's, it's parable. And so mm-hmm. whenever you read it as parable, you read it as narrative, you read it with signs, you read it with figures, all of which are pointing us to greater things. Now, this phrase, who has an ear, let him hear, comes right out of Isaiah chapter 6. Now, I'm not going to steal this chapter from you because I know this is one of your favorite of the Old yes. Testament. What's Isaiah 6 about? Yeah. All right, so I, this is Isaiah's call to prophecy, and uh, to prophesy, rather. And he, uh, it begins with him receiving this vision of God. He sees Yahweh on his throne. He's in his temple throne room, much like we'll see in Revelation, by the way. Um, but he sees God. He's overwhelmed by the holiness of God, and, and it leads him to this, this reflection and self-assessment. Woe is me. I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, Yahweh of hosts. And it's at that point that one of the living creatures from the vision comes and, and takes a coal from the altar and, and touches it to his lips. And Isaiah is cleansed. He's, he's forgiven. And, and now as a cleansed and forgiven person, um, he is he's just overwhelmed with gratitude and joy. And so God says, who will go for us? Who shall I send? And Isaiah very energetically says, here am I, send me. And so God commissions him to go to the people of Israel, go to his people who have these hard hearts. And he says, keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull, their eyes dim. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. And so he's sending Isaiah to this people who have hard hearts, who have a blindness where they won't receive the truth and, and, and that won't lead them to repentance. Otherwise, if they had ears to hear, they had eyes to see, they would hear Isaiah's preaching, they would return to God, and they would receive the same kind of healing and cleansing that Isaiah's received. So, so rich, so rich there. Isaiah yeah. is literally receiving heavenly cleansing here. And then he is yeah. given the commission, go and preach. But where was that phrase that's really important in Revelation 2 and 3? Uh, verses, verses 9 through, uh, through 10. Yeah, yeah, verses 9 and 10. What's interesting about this is he's telling them um, they're going to hear, but they're not going to understand. They're going to have ears, but they're not going to see it. But you still need to preach this to them in this way. Now, Isaiah, as you go through Isaiah, how does he communicate his message every time? Yeah, I mean, he's he's using all sorts of symbols, visions, um, figurative imagery uh, to communicate to the people. Yeah, exactly, right? Isaiah is one of the most figurative prophets. Everything that he communicates, he draws from vineyards and he draws from these great Mm -hmm. heavenly images. He draws from the servant. There's so many things that he draws from to demonstrate his message. Also really important to this, Isaiah 6 is quoted not only in Revelation 2 and 3, but also in Revelation, but also in Matthew 13. Let's look at Matthew 13 as well. Yeah. Matthew chapter 13. Yeah. The question of Matthew 13, so this is the kingdom parables. Uh, this is what it's often known as, your God yeah. reigns. But the question the disciples ask him in verse 10 of Matthew 13 is, why do you speak to them in parables? You know, they're looking at Jesus and they're like, why are you using all of this figurative speech? Why are you using all of this imagery? Mm -hmm. Why are you using all of these narratives and these stories 
to, to demonstrate your message. Why don't you just tell us clearly what you want to say? Jesus then quotes from Isaiah chapter 6. He says, yeah. You indeed will hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, their ears can barely hear, and their eyes have closed, lest so they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their heart, and turn, and I would hear them. For blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. So even Matthew 13, Jesus is quoting from Isaiah 6 for the purpose of communicating in parables. All right. Now, I know we've gone to three different texts, so this can be a bit overwhelming, but let's try to get this pretty concise. Revelation 2 and 3, Matthew 13, and Isaiah 6 are all talking about he who has ears, let him hear. Why? I think what it's demonstrating is parables with their imagery and their figurative language and their symbols ultimately are trying to reach our hearts in ways that literal mm-hmm. language simply cannot. There is something about figurative speech. There is something about imagery. And there is something about symbol that reaches our hearts, the very core of who we are, in a way that literalism cannot. So this is going to be a strong recommendation that I'm going to make for reading Revelation wisely, is we don't need to over-literalize the book and assume that it's talking about literal empirical things, but rather understand that it is using these figures and these images to tell us about greater spiritual realities. Absolutely. So let's illustrate this real quick, Mike, by going back to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. Whenever you read Revelation as parable, what that means is you read it with figurative language, you read it through the imagery, you read it in light of the symbolism that's there. Look at Revelation chapter 1 verse Mm -hmm. 20 for me. As for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So here, John has had a vision and he communicates this by saying he has seen seven lampstands, seven golden lampstands for that. What are the seven lampstands? Seven churches. Okay, why didn't he just come out and say quite literally that this is the seven churches? Because we need to read Revelation as parable. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. He, yeah. L- let's think through this. Had he just come out and said, oh, yeah. to the seven churches, what would that have missed? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it would have missed everything that the, the imagery of a lampstand conveys about identity, about function, purpose, calling, uh, about the presence of God. All those kinds of things are packed into that image of lampstand. Um, that the single word church just does not. Yeah, you know, I mean, the way I would say it is similar. When you look at a lampstand, in the Old Testament, under the Mosaic Covenant, the lampstand was in the holy place, giving light from God's Mm -hmm. presence to the people. We then, under the covenant of Christ, are the lampstands by the Spirit. We are the light of the world. Absolutely. We're the ones who are fueled by the oil of the Holy Spirit, Revelation 5, to send light and life to this world. We are the ones who speak the words of the Spirit. We are the ones who live out the light of Jesus. That is all of the intricacy and the meaning and the richness of the church being the lampstand that could not have been communicated merely by saying, 
to the seven churches. I mean, I, I often joke with this Absolutely. one. If you take this literally, he's talking to Lumiere. It's like he's talking to a literal yeah. candlestick. That's probably not what's going on here. Yeah. Rather, this is an image. Absolutely. This is a figure of speech that's demonstrating the church as the light-giving, spirit-filled, presence of God people who are speaking forth the word of God into the world. That's what it means for church to be Absolutely. the lampstand. Yeah, very good. You know, and there's there's a judgment dimension to this too. Um, the Like what Jesus told his disciples, to you, you get the mysteries of, of the kingdom, but everyone else gets parables. And if we don't have ears to hear and come to Revelation, all we'll get is a bunch of weird symbols that don't make any sense to us. But if we have ears to hear, and if we if we um, have those humble hearts that are willing to uh, receive the truth and and work at it to understand, man, revelation uh, again, as we've said so many times, is so powerful and and life. Oh yeah, life I mean, if I were to tell a Christian, you're a member of the church. Okay, yeah, okay, mm-hmm. uh, right, nice, but you're a lampstand. You're a lampstand. I am the spirit-filled, light-giving tabernacle of God, of the living God to this mm-hmm. earth. You know, just another example here. Um, whenever somebody has come forward, I always try to go to Zechariah to Zechariah 4 and even 3 as well um, and tell them that not only you're a lampstand— some of this imagery comes from that chapter, by the way— but also to tell them, yeah. you now get to wear a white garment. Now, mm-hmm. Mike, that's a parable. But what does that mean when I tell somebody mm-hmm. you get to wear a white garment? Yeah. That sin that has stained your heart and life is completely removed. Yeah. The blood of Jesus has washed it away. And, you know, there is just a richness and an inspirational factor to imagery and to figurative language and parables that literal language merely mm-hmm. cannot express. Absolutely. And so as we then and, go and, ahead, and go it, ahead. No, I was gonna say, and and, and just to clarify, uh, that doesn't mean Revelation is not talking about real things, but but it, it's just that it's not using literal language to do that. It's using this symbolic, figurative parable imagery to communicate these deeper, higher, real truths oh, yeah. that otherwise we, w- we wouldn't appreciate in the same way yeah. as, as you, you said. You could get me on a long rant about the modern about modernism and the Enlightenment here, but I mean, we as a culture have yeah. bought into the lie that the things that are most real are the things that are empirical. What Revelation is helping us to mm-hmm. see is the things that are most real are the things that aren't even tangible. And it's not even yeah. there that they're not empirical. It's just you, you can't experience them but by the Spirit. And that's what Revelation is constantly yeah. calling us to, to see the world and the cosmos and the reality in which we live is one in which God reigns. And it's going to communicate yeah. that empowering message of the reign of God through all of these different symbols and figurative figures and images to really show us the full breadth and depth of the reign of God. So, Mike, I want to ask the question again. Why is Revelation good news? Why are all of these symbols good news? It says something about the heart of our God. Uh, he's, a, he's a God that values truth. He's a God that values humility and honesty. Um, and, and so as he speaks to us in this way, in this wise way, 
Um, we see something about his power and his wisdom and his, his own humility and his grace um, and, and helps us appreciate even more the character of the God who reigns supreme. Thanks for listening to the Gospel According To podcast. If you have any questions about what you heard today, please send us a voice message. We would really love to hear from you. Next time, Mike and Ryan will be digging into the nature of apocalyptic literature, how it works, and the purpose and power of this style of writing. Don't miss an episode by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. And until next time, and for all time, your God reigns. Thank you.